Andronicus? What is this? You want a trap house? It's a trap house. What do we call this trap house? This is trap house. Why are you giggling like a little school? I don't know. I thought trap house was something different. Elon, get on, get on, get on the mic here and tell. Is this trap house music? I don't know what this is. <laughs> I have a number of, of trap house options here if you'd like me to run through them. No, I mean all, all I'll say is that was no uh that was no fake with Mac, for sure. That you nailed. Yeah, I don't think we need to hear that one again. The trap house we'll go back to we'll go back to the drawing board. On although it although it is gonna be stuck in my head now all day. Really? That? Yeah. I, I already that? forget what it sounded like. It sounded like <laughs> it that. left zero impact on me whatsoever. <laughs> It's completely gone from my mind already. Uh, welcome back to Canuck Stock here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drantz. We are live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber uh, with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. And uh, it is a Canucks game day. They're taking on the Chicago Blackhawks later on in Chicago, wrapping up the uh, five-game road trip here. One thing I did want to get into, we'll hear from Rick Talk at this segment uh, as well, but some Canucks content uh, from the uh, on The Athletic today, Drancer. Not from you, uh, but your colleague, prospect guru, Scott Wheeler, uh, going through his, uh, his list of uh, NHL prospect system rankings. And today it is the Canucks turn featured up at the athletic. They can come in number 18 in the league in terms of their prospect pool ranking, a Which dramatic a rise, a legitimate improvement, a yeah. dramatic rise from 28 last year. And I believe that's factoring in even the fact that they dealt uh, traded out Hunter Bristevich. hundred percent. It is. Um, well, yeah, I mean the Canucks missing the playoffs the way they did two years in a row, right? Picking in the top half, yeah, of the first round two Getting years their in a top row to uh, prospects by this ranking, and I'm, yeah. I'm sure any any real ranking, yeah, and making sure to sell your Tyler Mott class guys mm-hmm. right while aggressively signing uh, NCAA free agents. I mean, they've done a they've done a solid job replenishing some of their hockey value beneath the NHL level. Um, you know, then you've also got Lakaramaki popping this year, and that's a big part of the story, yeah. right? Because you know, all of a sudden you've got a player who, you know, very much when you're looking at how 2022 NHL draft picks are tracking, you know, would go higher, like in a redraft. His stock is up. Um, so that that helps as well. Now, Villander, I, I think a little bit less so, mm-hmm. right? I don't know that, um, not that he's trended badly, but it, he ha- he certainly hasn't popped the, the way that a lot of other players in that first round have. And that was yeah. kind of emphasized last night, by the way. You saw BU lost the bean pot. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, he sort of lost a battle at the, in the three-on-three overtime situation. Now, a little harsh because it was a really sick back check to even get in position to get beat. 
You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. when you get dunked on in the NBA and it's like, yeah, but at least you were tried. trying really hard. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, he, he was, I mean, it was an excellent effort to be in the highlight. And, uh, and so you feel for a guy when, when those sorts of things happen. Uh, do you know how closely Montreal fans, by the way, watch BU because, oh, of, Lane because of Lane Hudson? Yeah. Like Habs fans were like crushing Volander online last night. I was like, what's going on? Like, how, how can you possibly settle down guys? How can you possibly be this engaged? How can you have takes on your prospects, college teammates? <laughs> like, like I, like Canucks fans were pretty keyed in on, on Quinn Hughes during his season at Michigan. No, not not, not like, like, not like I, that. But there was never any like, oh, I don't like this teammate at Visit Michigan. <laughs> it never got to that level. How dare he make that play? So come on. Come on, Habs fans. What are you doing? But uh, yeah, the top five at uh, in, in Scott Wheeler's rankings, Karamaki one, Volander two. No surprise there. That's a clear tier. S- sorry, I, I think it's a surprise... Really? If, to have LeCaramacchi over if you told If you told us the day after the draft that LeCaramacchi would rank oh, higher. Okay. But now, but given what no, LeCaramacchi's Now there's this no year, question. But yeah. that, I think, speaks to the seasons both are having. 100%. Yeah. But also, I like it's no surprise that they're 1-2 in some order. Yeah, that yeah, would yeah. have been the expectation. Sure. 100%. Um, and that's the clear tier one of, Absolutely. The, of the system for the Canucks. And then he has Vasily Podkolzin at three, Atu Ratu at four, uh, and the defenseman, Elias Pettersson, coming in. At five, and one name uh, that surprised me a little bit as well was uh, a guy we don't talk about a lot. He's a little bit out of sight, out of mind. But at seven, he had Jacob Trescott, who is uh, uh, also University of Michigan defenseman. Going, I believe he's a senior. He is a senior, so he'll be leaving school. So they have to sign him. He's kind of the one guy to watch too, like the one guy that um, they they will push to sign out of the NCAA ranks Mm. following this season. Is my expectation anyway? because you know, I don't think Valander is going to turn pro this year. No, so you know that that one will that one will be interesting. Again, the club's going to try and sign all of these guys to deals that begin next season and have them sign PTOs so that they can go down to the Abbotsford Canucks. And given the injuries on the blue line, right for Abbotsford, for yeah. Abbotsford and and mounting, um, you know, there could be significant opportunity, especially for a senior who's played like pretty big minutes beside mm-hmm. guys like Owen Power and on and on in pretty high leverage games, even though he missed, you know, the frozen four appearance for Michigan last year because of injury um, in his collegiate career. Yeah. Um, Wheeler ran through some of the names he's played with at Michigan. Uh, oh, it's ludicrous. Or, or, at, or at the um, the U.S. National Development Team program as well. Like he's played next to Owen Power, Luke Hughes at the program, Sanderson, Brock Faber. Like He's played with a bunch of really, really high-profile uh, star young defensemen in the course of his amateur uh, career. So go check that out from Scott Wheeler up at The Athletic. Again, the Canucks rising in terms of their ranking in the league from the 28th prospect system to the 18th uh, this year on the strength of, as you said, some develop a couple high draft picks in LeCaramac and Volander, selling some UFAs, signing guys out of the NCAA uh, as well. Uh, all right, let's hear from Canucks. Yeah, and getting Aturatu back for Bobo. Getting Aturatu, right? I mean, well. yeah. functioning in a way where they've sort of straddled, right? The future with the present. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, it's and been good work. Still, I mean, yeah, and I understand as much as I probably have a more uh, YOLO, if you have to pay a, pros- a good prospect to get a good player, do it vibe than a lot of people do. I also understand the line of thought of, man, it's been a long time since the Canucks prospect system has looked this healthy, right? So there's a certain like, <laughs> oh, do we want to give it up? Just below average. Like, come on. <laughs> Seriously, though. No, but I it's mean, it's been a long time. It's just below average. Like, but do you want to go back to well below average? 
Depends on what they do this year. Depends I don't want on what I, you get back. I mean, I mean, we've talked about it. Like you've talked about it at length. How how they're positioned for this season versus mm-hmm. you know the rest of the window. You know the the Karamaki Volander tier is one thing because you know uh, do those guys help you hurdle the cost of the OEL buyout? Right, like that that would be the case mm-hmm. for keeping them and looking at like a three or four year window here, but. You know, you're you're. It feels like you're Atu Ratu Pod Colson tier. Like, I I think that's a YOLO. Trying to convince me. people of it is. It feels a little bit like if somebody just got out of like massive debt, and now you're like, okay, but here's this thing you should take out a loan to invest in, and the investment could be incredibly sound and make a ton of sense and be like a really really smart investment. But it's like, wait, I just got out of debt. Now you're telling me to take out a loan again. That's what it feels like a little bit. Right now, you still may maybe you should do it. I just understand where the mental block uh, comes in for people sometimes. Uh, it is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Trance. As mentioned, it is a Canucks game day there in Chicago. Uh, let's hear some comments from Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Coach, do you feel a bit of a sense of urgency within the group to end this one on a high note? Well, I mean, no, I, I think it's like we played half decent. We're 2-1-1 one, and one on the road. You know, if we can win tonight, that's a hell of a road trip. That's the way I look at it. Um... You know, we just want to play a 60-minute hockey night. We, we, that's our next goal. You know, we're, we're having spurts, but we're not getting the 60 minutes. So hopefully tonight we put a 60-minute effort tonight. What is the key to getting that done? Well, we're playing a team that works extremely hard. We've played them twice now, and they've been hard games. So I'm not sure we can take anybody lightly. Uh, you know, obviously I'm a fan of Luke Richardson, and he's just a, I think he's a great coach, and he has these guys playing hard. They've had a lot of injuries. And you're going to get 100% effort from those guys. So there's, we, we don't take anybody lightly. At this point in the trip, how much is that good start a mental aspect? Yeah, I know. We've, we've been getting up the goal, first goal a lot uh, lately. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to put a whole game on it if they score the first goal. But I think we do have to be ready to start of the game, make sure we know our coverages and stuff like that. It's, 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 I don't think it's really the team. I think it's been individual mistakes on these goals. I, I don't know if I can say it's the team's fault on the starts. I think it's... We've had a couple of individuals, you know, not one guy, but a couple of guys have not, where they've made a wrong read or something. Um, so that's what I look at it, right? Uh, we, we definitely want a good start tonight. Okay, and then you brought up uh, the, the young man, Wu. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's, uh, he's a healthy, he's in case of injuries and stuff, because this dwarf got suspended. What were the reports you got on him down at Abbotsford on Wu? He's, he's been playing really, thanks. He's been playing really well down there. I think it's important because we're only 45 minutes away at Abbotsford that we can bring guys up, practice with us, get the pace. We've done that with some certain guys, you know. Uh, Hiroshi did it at the beginning of the year. I think McMore did, did it once. Irwin, so I, I think it's important that you can, you have your minor league guys come up and practice. Um, and we have an organization where they're not scared to have, you know, we can have eight to eight to in our roster, so it, it really goes a long way. What effect has uh, Lindholm had on the lineup and just what you're trying to, trying to do? Well, he's obviously, uh, he's a 200-foot player. Very smart, um, you know, in good spots. You know, when there's breakdowns in our system, he knows how to cover up a breakdown. You know, he's not all-in type of guy. He knows how to take back ice if uh, if there's a backdoor play, if there's a mistake. Obviously, on the draw, he's been really good at winning faceoffs. And uh, yeah, he's just getting acclimated with some some different wingers and stuff like that. So yeah, we're we're very excited to have him. 
Uh, that is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. A couple people texting in. Is Coach Rick giving this interview while riding the stationary bike? Yeah, huffing and puffing a little bit. But as you pointed out, we listened to this quickly uh, during the break, got a little preview. And as you pointed out, like one, there's there's some unique things about Rick Tockett as an NHL head coach. One is... Have I talked about him shoveling before? I don't know that you have. Have I never talked about this? But like one is that he sometimes gets out there and does the, the rinse skate with the guys who are going to be healthy scratches. And in this case, it's Jet Wu coming up, right? Yeah, so. and I, I haven't seen it much, but he did it in Nashville earlier this season with Jack Stadnika. I think he does it when he wants to show a guy he's scratching like a little bit of extra buy-in commitment, spend mm. a little more time with them, put in the work with them. Um, but yeah, when when he's doing that, like he's literally checking them. Yeah, no, he's out there putting them through Hustling. their paces. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 demanding. Um, and so from the sounds of it. I am. I wonder if that's what happened, especially with like Jet Wu up for the first time. You know, like spend some time with exactly. the young guy. Yeah, and he, he even talks about like how valuable it is to have those young players come up and right. kind of give that burst of energy in practice. Totally. Right? So you're kind of sh- show that commitment. And you know, talk has talked so much about putting in the work with guys. Right. Yeah. Every time there's criticism of a player, well, it's on me too. I need to work with him. I I can do more uh, with him. I have never seen a head coach handle like the rinse skate themselves prior to Rick Tockett. Like it is very unusual mm-hmm. in my experience. Uh, the other thing Rick Tockett does that I think is very uh, um, unique or, or that I've never seen a head coach do. Uh, he shovels the crease himself during practice. Like practice will be going on and he's got a shovel and he'll dig up the snow from da- the down low areas and, and put it in the net himself. I've never seen a head coach skating around practice, holding a shovel, like a whistle, yep. a stick, but he'll skate around practice, holding a shovel, taking care of the ice himself. It's like the most Scarborough dad vibes I've ever seen. <laughs> it's so awesome. I actually find that endlessly charming. He's trying to get his work in, you know, build a sweat, you know, get the movement going. What, but with shoveling? Full body, yeah, upper and lower. You know, there's yeah, world-class gym facilities at all of these rinks, Dom. I don't think it's about his exercise. I think it's like a, a symbolic thing for the team. Like, I'm putting in the work. I'm no. out here. I'm in it with you guys. Both no, can be I true. think neither of those things are true. I literally <laughs> think he's like, I'm going to make sure that this ice is getting scraped as we go because I want it to be a certain way. I literally think it's way simpler than what either of you guys are saying. Look at his, look at him. He's like the what the peak male physical form looks like. It, how do you think you get there? Shoveling snow. Okay. I, I, you're telling me that Rick Tockett, who lives in Vegas, is in the shape in that shape he's in by, by shoveling, shoveling snow. snow. That's your theory. In part. In part. No chance. <laughs> in part. Oh, it's like, fantastic. I don't get this in the desert. I got to do it here. Yeah, hey, but anyways, hey. the number of people who texted him being like, what's going on with Rick Tockett in this interview is really killing me. And I'm glad we could provide some analysis on it. Uh, Dom and Rick, shake hands. Keep digging. <laughs> <laughs> you don't dig snow. <laughs> uh, some other information there from Rick Tockett beyond the, uh, the, the cardio aspect of things. Um, Jet Wu, he confirms, is going to be a healthy scratch, right? Just coming up for some insurance uh, because I, of Nikita Zadorov. I don't understand, though. They're coming to Vancouver. Yeah, but they got a game in between. What if someone gets injured in warm-up? What if someone got injured in the morning skate right. today? That's... I think that's it. Okay. Right? And and who knows? Maybe there's an element of, look, it's not much of a, a reward, but hey, Jet Wu, get to go have a practice with Taka have a practice with the big team. I would think there's somebody who's they're at least concerned about. Or, or at least they were 48 hours ago. Sure. 
Yeah, but I think it's as simple as I like it. Make you're I right. You're right. It makes sense it to have cover for insurance. morning skate and, and the warm up. But yeah, but then you're right. They're coming home. But yeah. uh, anyways, we'll see. Also, look, you never know. It could be seven defensemen out there uh, for warm up. Maybe there is still a game time decision. We'll see. But uh, talk it saying Jet Wu just up here as insurance, uh, given that Zadorov will serve the second of his two game suspension tonight. Also, talk just a little bit. You know, the classic. Hey, that's a really hard working team over there. Uh, which, of course, <laughs> is code for that team doesn't have a lot of talent on it, but I don't want to say mean things about them, and uh, I don't want our guys to take them lightly on this final game of a road trip. And I thought the commentary about Elias Lindholm and how he's fit in towards the end of that uh, that presser from talk, it was interesting as well. And, you know, for as much as there's been... You know, I've seen people text in like, oh, where's the impact after that first game against Carolina from Elias Lindholm? And I think it's fair to say that in terms of that consistent offensive generation, you're still waiting to see who his regular line mates are going to be, what role is that going to be for him and all those things. But I did think it was striking how positive, how instantly positive Rick Tockett was about all of those defensive things, right? And hey, he covers up mistakes. He's not, you know, he's not a guy who is going to uh, always try to make that home run pass because he is so responsible. And I think, you know, this is something you and I have talked about that the ultimate success of the trade is going to depend on what Lindholm can do offensively. But you know you're getting this baseline of a player that the coach is really going to like defensively Mm -hmm. and in terms of a lot of other things. And we're already hearing that from Rick Tockett, how much he likes that side of Lindholm's game. Well, and we're already seeing the baseline case. Like the, I think the baseline case has been evident all trip, and it's something this team did need, right? But I also think we talked about this a bit. We also talked about like the baseline case versus the upside case and him needing to hit at least some of that upside case, mm-hmm. you know, to really make this the home run trade, help drive one of the top six lines. We haven't seen that yet. Now, I'm not worried about it because uh, as we've talked about, he's played with a bunch of different line mates. The team hasn't necessarily been uh, flying at mm-hmm. their best. Um, it takes time. But, you know, uh, we haven't seen that extra five-on-five gear. And, uh, look, I still think that's something this team's going to need when the competition is at its fiercest. Yeah, and, you know, he had a really poor game against Boston, but so did everyone for the most part. He only played 14 minutes in that game. But over the weekend, you know, he was up right around 20 minutes. He did he have up- a poor game? Well, I'm just trying to think. Like, I mean, like, I'm not saying it was like gaffes on him, but yeah. it was just like it was not an impactful game. But they had, yeah. who did have an impactful game against Boston? Yeah. You know what I mean? But the two games on the weekend, you know, he played 21 minutes in Detroit, played just under 20 minutes in Washington, had three shots on goal uh, in both of those games. Like, I don't think I, I think this idea of it, like, oh, he's been invisible outside of that Carolina game. I'm not necessarily buying that because there were plenty of times where, you know, he got open in the zone. Miller fed him for a shot. Those sorts of things. Um, now, is it is that enough? Does there need to be a little bit more than that? Maybe, but like I think you can see the elements um, of how he can fit offensively as well already. Yeah, and I don't think there needs to be. I don't think there needs to be more in terms of like production. Just, just more zone time. Mm-hmm. You know, that's it. And and it's not just Lindholm. It's not a Lindholm thing. It's a Canucks top six thing. We just we haven't seen this club stack those heavy shifts at the top of the lineup in a while. Right, and we saw it a lot in January. You know, especially the first two and a half weeks of January, yep. where they were looking exceptionally good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm. You know, that hasn't been a fixture of their game as their sort of two way form is kind of. You know, it's not trended in the wrong direction so much as they had this 
nice stretch where it was like, wow, that's contender level hockey. And they've kind of come back to playing good hockey. Right? Um, hey, great chance to get back to uh, the really, really good hockey against the Chicago Blackhawks tonight and start getting on a roll here. Uh, we'll go to break in just a second. Ryan Clark from ESPN is going to join us on the other side. Always a pleasure to chat with Ryan. Uh, before we do that, it is time for the Giants report here uh, on Sportsnet 650. And the Giants, man, they are on a roll. Points in seven straight. And actually, the only loss in there, uh, an OT loss, uh, to Victoria a couple of weekends ago. Uh, other than that, they've been absolutely on fire. They've got a game coming up tomorrow, and then they host the first-place Portland Winterhawks on Friday. That's February 16th. That's their next home game. Your next chance to go out uh, and see the Vancouver Giants, who, as I said, Manny Viveros has them playing some really, really good, ho- good hockey with uh, the playoffs looming in the WHL. For more on the Giants, here is play-by-play uh, voice of the Giants here on Sportsnet 650, Nathan Cantor. Another weekend, another four points for the Vancouver Giants as they kept the train rolling with wins over Seattle and Wenatchee, making it eight straight games now without a regulation loss. Their most recent win, an emphatic 7-2 thumping over Wenatchee on Saturday after initially falling behind 2-0 early on, but eventually a run of seven consecutive goals on a night where six players recorded multi-point nights led by two goals each from Connor Levis and Kyron Gronick. Head coach Manny Vivero said after Saturday's win that since the Christmas break, the leadership for the group has really stepped up to the point where a lot of the time the coaches don't need to say anything on the bench because the players are saying the right things already themselves. You know, at this stage of the season, they know how we need to play and what we need to do to correct some things. So uh, a lot of times we don't have to say anything at all. We just reinforce it or just support. And then, uh, you know, kind of maybe sometimes reset uh, our group to focus in the right direction. But for the most part, it's all the kids. They're the ones that, uh, you know, do all that. And like I agree with you, over this last stretch or over this last month since uh, since Christmas here, our group has really come together as a group. They've really bonded. And, uh, you know, it's a lot of our leaders are doing a lot of the coaching for us in those situations. Thanks to their record of 11-3-1 since New Year's Day, the Giants are now in a tie for sixth place in the Western Conference with the Kelowna Rockets. With a game in hand, and still have four head-to-head games against Kelowna left on the schedule. More importantly, they're now only seven points back of fourth place, along with a game in hand on Wenatchee and also seven points back of fifth place, with two games hand on Victoria, who just happens to be their next opponent tomorrow night. And while it's easy to look ahead and see how 4th or 5th are entirely attainable, with 17 games still remaining, Vivro says the team's focus is simply on the game in front of them, because if you have one night off in the WHL, anyone can beat you. There's not an easy game in this league. And it really isn't. If you look at the scores and what's happened over, over the last little while, whether you're in first place or if you're in last place, if you're not ready to play that night, you're not going to win. And that's something that... Uh, Um, you know, makes this league so good and makes our division so tough. The Giants' busy week starts tomorrow on the road in Victoria at 7.05, and it continues at home for CMHA night at the Langley Event Centre on Friday against the Portland Winterhawks. Then the Giants head to Portland on Saturday to complete the home-at-home and finish the season series against the first-place team in the conference. Don't forget, on Monday, the Giants play two as they'll host the Spokane Chiefs at 2 p.m. on Family Day for Country Day presented by Valley West Stampede. As always, you can get your Giants tickets at VancouverGiants.com slash tickets. For your Giants report, I'm Nathan Cantor. 
big opinions and good bets. It's the People Show with Big Nizar. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Canucks Talk. You're on Sportsnet 650. It's Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Be a champion on the worksite. Find them together online at DLEAMC.com. We are live from the Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five star Google reviews. Sore feet. What are you waiting for? The hotline is brought to you by Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning. The first call, the only call, and we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline, where we are joined by our pal from ESPN covering the NHL. He is Ryan Clark. Ryan, thank you as always for chatting with us. How are you today? Good, good. How are you two doing this afternoon? Uh, We're doing very well. Canucks playing in Chicago tonight, looking to wrap up uh, a road trip. And uh, really, I mean, you can start to see, we got a little ways to go here, but we can kind of start to see the finish line uh, of the regular season in the horizon. Now, uh, before we get into some Canucks-specific things, I mean, are you waiting on the edge of your seat like everyone else to to hear the results of the Morgan Riley suspension hearing? Yes and no. I mean, it's interesting just because it seems like the discourse is maybe the most fascinating thing about it outside the actual incident. And Mm -hmm. it's this conversation about, hey, how do you view what it means to be physical in the league, but also how do you view what he did? There are some people who feel like it was uncalled for. Then there are some people who feel like what he did was necessary and it's just been interesting to watch the conversations, but as for how many games he gets, like here's the reality of it. Whether it's one game or more than one game, you're talking about losing one of your best defensemen, arguably your best defenseman, one of your best players, for a period where you're only four points above the New Jersey Devils in the wild card race. So that unto itself is coming at a very interesting point this season. You know, it's not new for suspensions and debate about incidents to to really kind of take on a life of their own around the NHL. This one, as you said, it seems to have really caught fire. How much of that is just because it's the Leafs, right? And anything they do tends up to take up a whole bunch of oxygen. And how much of that is about a, a kind of larger debate in the NHL about, you know, the code and what's acceptable and uh, what young players should be able to do and all that sort of thing? In terms of being the least, it's kind of hard to say. Just because you look at incidents like this, whether it's been the Toronto Maple Leafs or someone that doesn't get as much attention, let's say, like the Coyotes, for example, uh, it would be really hard to say because the incident itself is what people are talking about. And it goes back to this discussion about how do you view physicality in the contemporary NHL? And there's what Ryan Reeves said about the way things were when he was coming along. And that's been met with people saying, okay, but you came along and your careers come at a time in which you've seen things like fighting get phased out of the game and being physical even in 2010 was different than being physical in, in 2000. And yet when you look at today's NHL, it's just sort of like, well, how do you define that 
and there's still enough people who remember what it was like 10, 15, 20 years ago compared to people now who, even if they were or not around, have said, hey, this is where the game is going. So is there really, is there really a precedent for something like this in the current NHL environment? So it seems like it has more to do with the incident itself because, again, it could have been the Arizona Coyotes versus the Seattle Kraken, two teams that don't really have, like, this long history with each other like Ottawa and Toronto do. But the fact it happened after a game, it was going to get discussed no matter who the players would have been. Ryan, I don't know if you watched Wild Vegas last night, but aside from the Mark Stone slap shot, which was sick, uh, Vegas looked flat again. I can't figure this team out. My gut is to treat them like a sleeping giant who who's kind of just, you know, uh, going through their paces in the regular season and will still be an elite team come playoff time. But they really haven't performed like an elite team at any point this season. What do you make of Vegas? It's interesting you say that. Yet they're 7-2-1 in their last 10. Right. Um, which is the wild part. The reality of the Golden Knights, and, and maybe it's off base saying this, is that's a franchise that's going to get judged based on how they do in the postseason. That was always the case for them, really, is what do they do in the postseason? It's wild because two years ago they missed the postseason. Last year's can they get into the postseason? And this year it's can they win it again? And that's the reality with teams such as them is, you know, look, when you look at kind of how these championship caliber teams do, there's this expectation that start to finish 1-82, through they're going to be completely the best. And then when the playoffs get there, there's the expectation that's going to carry over. As we saw with the Boston Bruins last year, things can change once you get into the postseason. And as we saw with the Florida Panthers, things can definitely change when you get to the postseason. And it's not to say that when you look at the Knights, there aren't concerns that could come back to, to bother them later. But for now, the reality is this is a team that everybody assesses in terms of what they do when they get into the postseason. And as they stand right now, this is still a team that has four lines, three pairings, two goaltenders, and who knows what they could try to come up with next going into the deadline. With your colleague Emily Kaplan reporting that the sense around the league is that a variety, like what, what do you draw from the possibility that some of the teams either in the playoffs or on the fringes, whether it's Philadelphia, whether it's Seattle, whether it's St. Louis, or whether it's Calgary, could be big-time sellers. Uh, what does that tell you about the state uh, of the league and those striver-class teams? It tells you that for as close as teams might think they are, there's a sense of reality about their situations and what they could do to not only mm. clear cap space, but get draft capital in, in return. So let's start with the Flyers. Yes, the team that is four points ahead of the Leafs and the Red Wings, it also comes with the understanding that this is a team that a year ago was really open about the fact it's in a rebuild. And if you're the Flyers, you're trying to answer the big question of, do you start mortgaging part of your future now to make a postseason run, not knowing what you're going to do? Or do you continue along your plan with the idea that, everything you do to add to your future now is only going to make it stronger going forward. And so that way, when you go into the postseason, you feel better about your odds of trying to win a series later than you would right now. Whereas if let's say you're the Calgary Flames and the Calgary Flames might be an extreme example, the situation with the Flames now is no different than the situation with the Flames in preseason, which is 
half that team is under contract for several years. The other half of that team could be gone by the end of the year, whether it's because they've been traded or they left in free agency. And we've already seen them move on from, from players like Nikita Zadorov, Elias Lindholm, uh, who were said to be pending UFAs. And so that's just if you're these teams, you're trying to assess things because you look at the Arizona Coyotes, the way the season started for them, there was a thought maybe this is the year they get into the postseason. As of today, they're eight points out. They've lost six in a row. If you're them, maybe you start thinking more about, okay, how do you build upon the future? Because even when you look at how they were built, like one of the keys for the Coyotes in the offseason was not only did they add veterans, but they added veterans who were on expiring contracts, which was going to mean it was going to be easier to move those players at the deadline in advance for draft capital. It's no different than if you are, let's say, the Bowens have some big decisions to make. And that's what these teams were potential sellers. This is the situation they're in is they're not necessarily in that mode of they're going to win and be a true championship contender like what we've seen from teams like Dallas, what we've seen from Colorado, Florida, the Rangers. But at the same time, they're nowhere near the Blue Jackets, the Blackhawks, and the mm. Sharks of your lottery team. And so this is the reality of what it means to be in the middle. It's do you think you're making the best decisions that can help you now or is it about making the best decisions that can help you in the future? Yeah, and I, I thought the uh, the report from from your colleague Emily Kaplan today was really interesting as well. And, you know, we'll see how it does develop. But do you think just the fact that we're talking about, you know, a bunch of teams that are either in playoff spots or right in the mix for playoff spots? I mean, we're so used to seeing teams prioritize making the playoffs incredibly strongly, right? Even if you just get in as the eighth seed, it's so important to get in as the eighth seed for teams. Do you think we could be seeing maybe at least a little bit of a change in the mentality of teams where maybe they value being the eighth seed a little bit less and they're willing to, you know, sell, even if they're in a position to do that, if it means strengthening their chance of being really good in the future? It's hard to say just because what we've continued to see is, number one, rebuilds are more of an open conversation in the NHL than they were years Mm -hmm. ago. It felt like there was a time you said the word rebuild it was taboo. There were people who didn't even want to say the word out loud because it was viewed in this negative connotation. Whereas if now there, there's an openness about this, we think about what the national predators are or were this time of year ago. That was a team that was retooling. Some ways you could argue, are they still retooling yet? They're two points out of the final wildcard spot in the West and very realistically could, could get in. But then if you're them and your team's like the Minnesota wild, it goes back to what you just said, like, yes, you're getting into the playoffs, but is that enough? Because the Predators have made the playoffs for, what, eight consecutive seasons. The Wild are trying to make it for a fifth consecutive season. But what do they have in common? They can't get out the first round. And there comes a point where if you're any organization, you're asking, why are you in this? It's to win, and not just win in the regular season, but win playoff series. You think about the L.A. Kings and, and the coaching change they just made. Like, yes, there's the, the, the regular season that they, they've they had in form, but they're also doing it with the idea that if they can get into the playoffs, that they can get into the playoffs and win. Because, again, we said this on this show a lot, the last time the Kings won in the first round, Quentin Byfield and Brant Clark were in elementary school. <laughs> yeah, and you know, these are, these are re- – oh, go for it, please. Oh, no, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, you know, throw Calgary into that mix as well with teams that, you know, have made a lot of playoff appearances with not a lot to show for it. Right. And whereas if you flip on the other end, 
like Dallas has gone from couldn't score in the playoffs to they're two games away from winning the West. Colorado's went from 48 points to they've won a cup. The Vancouver Canucks have gone from what are they doing in the last year to what are they about to do going forward? Yeah. It seems like there's this need to just win and get creative with how they win. Because, again, when you look at what the front office has done with the Canucks, it cannot be said enough. They revamped the defense in seven months. It's just that simple. They revamped the defense. But then on the flip side of that, if you are a team looking at what those other teams have done in a short amount of time, maybe you say it's worth trying to get as much as you can now knowing it's going to help you in the future, especially if it means you can't win in the first round. Because, again, as much as we look at the Panthers and what they're able to do against the Bruins, as we're seeing now, this is what the Florida Panthers look like when they're healthy. This is what the Florida Panthers look like now when they're getting consistent goaltending. Like, yes, they were an eight seed, but as you could clearly see, they were an eight seed that's clearly better than an eight seed. Considering this season, you look at what they might do in the East, and there's a real chance they could win the East. Do you think the Vancouver experience, the way that this team is, you know, skyrocketed up the NHL standings, looms in the mind of any of these? middling class teams middling class as opposed to middle class i want to note that but here's the thing certainly understand why you're asking hey with the canucks but really how does this relate to the canucks ryan sorry i'm taking the bait you still work there i'm not taking the bait (laughs) hey you can you can get called in the hr i mean i won't because i don't work there but i i'm good no but to be serious you could argue that this discussion started with a team like the Florida Panthers when Bill Zito became GM. You think about how aggressive they were with trades, how aggressive they were in free agency, how they were able to use that cap space, and all of a sudden the Panthers went from a team where you kind of wonder, did they ever really find ways to build around Alex Barkov and Jonathan Uberdo to now you look at what they are. And like you're talking about the best period in the history of the Florida Panthers like, there's an expectation that they can get back to the cup final, and that's with a team that's dealt with injuries this season. And so if you see, like, what they did, maybe it gives you the idea that if you're in a similar situation, it could happen. And what you're seeing with the Canucks right now is the latest example of all that. You can even argue to some degree, kind of, sort of, the Boston Bruins are in a similar situation because name another team that would lose their two top six centers, and you expect them to be in a situation not only in a playoff spot, but having the best record in the league. So, like, those three teams are examples of how you can retool to a degree the Dallas Stars as well about how you can have pieces and players in place, but you can retool along the way. But, again, in order to make that work and make that happen, you have to have not only the players that are there, but you have to have the assets to move. And as we talked about on this show a lot last year, when that Philip Ronick trade went through, there are questions of, mm-hmm. was this the best time to move that Bo Horvat first-rounder because, one, everyone's trying to get first-rounders, and, two, the Canucks cap situation, whereas if you get almost a year away from that move, it's been one of the biggest moves that has defined the Aldean-Rutherford era to this point. And those are the sort of things that teams in the position that, again, are, are these sort of middle positions. These are the risk assessments that you have to weigh out because, again, the Red Wings are in a similar situation uh, as well, where like you look at what they did in the offseason. So, while yes, the Canucks are the example as everyone points towards this year, 
this is something we started seeing really with the Florida Panthers a little bit ago. Yeah, it's interesting. The Canucks really kind of the opposite of, of some of the teams you were laying out, you know, Minnesota, Nashville, where they're consistently making the playoffs but not doing anything once they get there. Uh, you know, the Canucks have been in this barren playoff stretch, and now all of a sudden they find themselves top of the league. And with that in mind, they go out, get the jump on the trade deadline, as Jim Rutherford has liked to do in the past, uh, and they go out and acquire Elias Lindholm for their top six. What did you make of the Lindholm deal for the Canucks? It's one that makes a lot of sense because, number one, you're getting a top six anchor. Number two, you're getting someone who is a two-way player who is going to fit into a system that not only prioritizes two-way play, but you look at what he could do for the penalty kill. And number three, for all the conversations that have come up about, hey, his offensive numbers not being what they were, like the thought is if you're the Canucks, you're going to put him around people that are going to lead to not only him scoring goals, but creating for others and getting these opportunities. Because, again, you just don't know how to work. But then, again, when you look at what the Canucks have done this season, it seems like it's one of those everyone is having a sort of career year, whether you look at what Pedersen is doing, what Quinn Hughes is doing, what Brock Besser is doing, what JT Miller is doing. Like, there's a reason why, like, in some ways, the All-Star game looked a little bit like the Vancouver Canucks sometimes. <laughs> it's because what Rick Tockett is doing and what his assistants are doing, like, it's getting results, and you're seeing players achieve career years. And it seems like that's another thing in this league that we don't talk about enough, is it seems like there are some coaches who, when you give them opportunities, guys are getting points. If you see Rick, with Rick Tockett, and, and, and Drake knows where I'm going with this, but going back to the National Predators, look at Andrew Burnett coach teams. The year he was the interim coach in Florida, several players set career highs across the board. He goes to the New Jersey Devils. Look at how much of an offensive juggernaut that team was last year. Whereas if you look at the Predators this year, and yes, that's a team that's had some stop-start moments, but compared to what they were a year ago, you can see where the progress is being made. And if you're them, you're thinking, what can you look like a year or two or three down the road? Because, again, at last glance, you look at what Philip Forsberg is achieving. He's having one of the best seasons of his career. And yet it seems like the one that no one really out loud is sort of talking about in terms of career numbers that he could be having. Ryan O'Reilly at one point was on pace for 70-something points. He's on pace for 69. And the reality of it is Ryan O'Reilly could have the second-best season of his career offensively. And it's just it's kind of gone under the radar. So, again, it's about finding the right fit. Yeah, it really is. The One of my big takeaways from the Canucks season is the impact of Rick Tockett. And, I, you know, look, being an NHL coach is a tough gig for a lot of reasons, not least of which is your job security uh, is pretty lacking. But, I mean, I, if I was a GM and thinking, okay, what can I do to get the best out of my team going into next year? I mean, I'd be taking a long look at what hap- what's happened with the Canucks under a new coaching staff and wondering how I duplicate that, right? Because it's a lot easier to change the coach than it is to change the players. Well, it's about changing the coach, but it's also about understanding, like, what makes you think that this could work? Yeah. Is, is it a matter of personnel? Is it a matter of resources? Is it a matter of everyone being on the same change, same page? Because the other thing about the Canucks is this, too. Whether it be the president, the general manager, the assistant general managers, the coaching staff, the concept that you have is all of them are coming in with a fresh perspective. They're not coming in with any Act, like premeditated thoughts about what X player or Y player is or anything like that. They're all coming into it with a, with a perspective of saying, hey, let's try different things. And if you are in a situation where you have an organization that's willing to let people try different things or experiment, then, yeah, it could lead to some, some different changes. But otherwise, it could just be the same result. But, again, it seems like in order for these things to happen, it goes back to what's your overall philosophy because, like, 
when you hear Bill Zito talk about when he came to the Panthers, he told players, like, it's okay if mistakes happen. No one is going to be perfect. He's like, you look at turnovers. He's like, Gretzky turned the puck over more than anyone because, like, he was trying to be creative. He's like, I'm not saying that everyone is Wayne Gretzky, but it is to say, like, mistakes even happen to people like that. So don't be afraid to play and to try to win games because he's like, look, when players make mistakes, it's not like it's intentional. It's not like you're trying to give the game away. You're trying to help your team win. It just didn't go to plan. And he's like, I'd rather have guys who are going to try and give that effort rather than someone who's too afraid to do it. Yeah, you know, and and that sort of matches, I think, um, Jim Rutherford and Vancouver's perspective with moves, right? Like he's comfortable making mistakes or more more comfortable making mistakes provided that they're aggressive. It's the aggression itself which gives you a competitive edge. Uh, Do you see that parallel between management decisions and, and also sort of puck management on the ice? It's hard to say just because with management, it's one of those things where you've had time to think about these moves, the way of different options. Whereas if with personnel on the ice, in terms of how they perform, the turnaround is much, much quicker. But when we look at like how aggressive the Canucks have been, especially in the offensive zone this year, in some ways, yes, but in some ways, no, because as we've talked about before, whether it's been on this show or just in private, we've all looked at the Canucks the last few years and gone, wow, how do you have this much offensive talent, this much potential, but yet, it feels like it just it doesn't necessarily connect, whereas if this season you're seeing it connect and then some. And some of that has been because of the personnel changes you made, but some of that has been because, again, of what the coaching staff is doing. So in some ways there are some parallels, but in some ways it's hard to compare because, like, with management, it's one of those things where, while well, yes, they do have to make quick decisions. Like, they're given more time to think about those decisions than if you're a player on the ice where – when you have the puck, it's either you know what you're doing before it gets to you or you run the risk of a play blowing up and going the other way. Ryan, appreciate the time. As always, man, great insights. Uh, we'll do it again soon. Thanks, buddy. You got it. Thanks for having me. That is Ryan Clark from ESPN. And, uh, I mean, I enjoyed that discussion. I think the question of what, if anything, will the rest of the league take from this Canucks season? And look, that that story is very much uh, remains to be written. You know, what happens in April and May is going to have uh, a big impact on what the rest of the league takes from this Canucks season. But it is fascinating. And, you know, I, I think back to for all of the great work, and they have done phenomenal work, right? Bringing in Rick Tockett, rebuilding the events for all of the work that this management team has done so much of this Canucks team success is still built on Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes, right? Who they got by being bad and drafting in the top 10. And now I'm not trying to start like a, a tanking versus whatever argument here, but it's just striking the to me, the degree to which the NHL is set up to reward bad teams, right? So even if you're not like, remember all the time people spent fretting that Jim Benning was not leaning into being bad in the correct way, which is hundred percent true. And even if you don't do that, and even if you kind of make all of these blunders and spend in free agency and do all of these other things poorly, man, having consecutive top 10 picks that you hit is incredibly, incredibly powerful. You know what I mean? It is, for sure. And I I mean, the Canucks will absolutely fit the template of four and five in the top 10. Four four years with top 10 picks uh, four in years a five in year a five-year span, span yeah, which you know matches like the Caps, the Kings, the Penguins, mm-hmm. uh, the Blackhawks, like some of those like most storied um, rags to riches tales of of the salary cap era. You know, the Blues are the exception there, 
But like even the Bruins, I think, had it with like one of them being like um, Mark Hamill. Yeah, and like Tyler Phil Sagan. It's just that none, none, uh, none right. of them were like relevant. <laughs> none of them were relevant yeah. to their core group, but even they qualify. Yeah. So it's um yeah, I mean the Canucks will fit that template. I, I mean I I think the Canucks and the Panthers are the. I think it's a good comparison. I think right? that With to Barkov me Barkov and Huberto, but then Ekblad, yeah, but it not really working. A mass until young it talent, change management, yeah, flesh out depth, change the coach, right? The the yeah, coaching change plus glue guys. Um, leveling you up. I think the big difference, though, is that the Canucks were able to buy out Ekman Larson, mm. right? And and Bobrovsky's uh, can't go anywhere. But at least he's playing well. Um, yeah, but anyways, it's uh, it's funny because in some ways it looks like such a, an aberration what the Canucks are doing, right? Going from the seasons they've had to having this season. Well, it, it is an is. aberration. It is, but but at the same time, you can also see the roots of success that are similar to what a lot of other teams have done. You know what I mean? In terms of collecting those draft picks and that top talent, it's just the route from there to here was not linear, to say the least. <laughs> took a no. lot of twists and turns uh, that would be hard to replicate for other teams. Yeah. Uh, well, and one other thing is it was hard to see. Like, there's a classic George Orwell quote that's like, to see what's in front of your nose is a constant mm. struggle. Mm -hmm. It was hard to see where this team was going as it came. Sure. You know what I mean? Like with all of these sort of individual moves, so several of which felt, um, you know, in the moment, certainly based on our reaction, like they weren't a part of something that could actually that be disciplined this, and responsible. Yeah, that was going this direction. But then when you look at the full picture and, and the Ekman Larson buyouts factored in and a bunch of short term responsible deals are layered on top of that, you know, it, it the, the full picture looks totally different. Yannick Hansen, former Canucks forward. He will join us next here to wrap up the show on a Canucks game day. It is Canucks talk here on Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Drance, live from the Kintech studio. 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Dunbar Lumber with three stores to serve you in Ladner on Bridge Street or Dunbar Lumber Express at Ladner Center or Arbutus in Vancouver online at DunbarLumber.com. Final segment of the show here, and we now go to the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. Very pleased to be joined by former Canuck and regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650. He is Yannick Hansen. Yannick, thank you for chatting with us. How are you today? Yeah, always my pleasure. I'm good. How are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing very well. So, uh... Saturday, the Canucks play the Red Wings in Detroit. Uh, Jake Wallman scores the overtime winner on a penalty shot uh, and then does, I'm not sure if you were familiar with the dance beforehand, he does the gritty, the dance move in celebration. If you were sitting on the bench in that game as a player, Yannick, and an opponent did that in that situation, what would your reaction be? I'd jump the bench, run off to him, and start a line brawl. Um, no, you'd take note of that stuff, and then, then you... Uh, you might pay him back the next time you see him. Like, there are celebrations, and I, I guess it's gone overboard just a little bit. Like, I, I have no problem with celebrating uh, shooting the arrow and all these things, but when you start, I, I don't know if it comes from video games or what it comes from, uh, TVs. Uh, it goes a little bit overboard. Um, then uh, then we take, a, we take a number, we take a rain check, and then we see, see what we, if we can do about it uh, next time we see them. The 
case of Jake Wallman and the Gritty, uh, he'll be in Vancouver on Thursday to face the Canucks. So it's a game within five days of that celebration. Um, you know, smart players are pretty good at using the anger that another team might have against them to help their team win, right? Yannick, is it, is it a difficult balance to, to take the number but also stay focused on, uh, on on getting the two points and getting the revenge of actually beating the guy? Yeah, that, that's probably the best way to, to do it. Um, again, you don't want to do anything. You don't want to get suspended. You don't want to go out of your way uh, either. Um, again, it's Detroit, so it's not like it's a, it's a team you see on multiple mm. occasions uh, in the playoffs and all these things. Uh, uh, again, it's just something that was, I don't know. I saw it and was like, yeah, it's, funny but it's not funny when you're sitting on the bench so <laughs> that's where i say you, you you take his number um and and that's a hit you're not turning away from if you get if you get my uh mm. where i'm trying to go with this this one i'm gonna finish i might take the extra stride uh, put myself a little bit out of position I'm, I'm not gonna cross the line but but i'm not giving him a free pass for the 60 minutes he, he's playing and then that's it um again um uh, again it, it's it's so minute. Uh, I know we're probably going to touch on Morgan Riley as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that that one is, is again, uh, he shoots a slap shot into an empty net. We've seen it a ton of times. Uh, Riley, I, I don't know why he does that. It, it blows my mind. Uh, he crosses the line so much more than what we've just talked about, what mm-hmm. needs to be done, what could be done. Um, and now he's going to pay a very hefty price for it. Um, so so it, it's one of those things that uh, the way the league has evolved over the last 10, 15 years, you're seeing this now because there, there's no repercussions for what you do. You can get away with just about anything these days and nobody's going to do anything to you. And if they do, uh, and Morgan Riley did do something, did anything happen to the guy? I don't think so. He got up, he skated off, he might not even be bleeding. And Riley is going to get five, six, seven game suspension now. Like, like that's the thing. The repercussions mm. aren't there for you crossing the line or, or the code or whatever you guys want to want to use for this. That, that there are none now. And if a guy steps outside that line, he's going to get a hammer thrown at him. So nobody's going to even consider doing it the next time. So, so that's where it's uh, it's a little bit of a free fall now, if you will. Mm. Um, first of all, we appreciate you giving us two answers and, and sussing out exactly where we were going with this line of questioning, Yannick. Like, killer anticipation skills uh, from you. But but I'm curious just to follow up to the free fall that you just described. The idea that policing this sort of behavior on the ice is more difficult than it's ever been. Is that something, just, just your own personal taste in the game, is that something regrettable in your view? Yeah, it is. There's another situation uh, not too long ago. Uh, it was was it Dylan Larkin who got hit a little bit awkward, mm. um, and I think it was David Perron yep. who comes in flying with a cross check into somebody's head, uh, and that like, like Larkin got hit a little bit awkward. Goes down. He's got a history, but again, Perron's step from there to what he does. If you had done that 10 years ago, you would have been a haunted player for the rest of your career. If you cross-check somebody in the neck, in the head, on purpose like that, you would be haunted by the whole team. Every single time we play you, we're coming for you. 
we're challenging you. We're, we don't care about the instigator. You're, and that's where that thing, like it's a free fall, a smaller skilled guy like Perron, great hockey player, can get away with this now because there are no repercussion to, to stepping so far outside the line. Yeah, he's going to get suspended, um, but five games or, or whatever, how much he got for that. And then he's back and no target on his back. That That's where it, that free fall comes in. That's where it would be nice if there were some policing left in the game, especially with this stick work that are coming up, that mm-hmm. are happening. Um, we're now like, yes, okay, I'm going to have to talk to, to uh, George Paris and the safety department, and I'm going to get fined, and, and I'll lose a couple hundred thousand, depending on what my salary is. Um, but I'm not going to risk getting my head pounded in because of something I do on the ice anymore. And again, I, I'm not advertising that. I'm just saying... It would be nice to see less of the stick work that has been coming up that where guys aren't afraid to, to do these things because, well, what's going to happen to me? Yeah, especially the cross checks to the face and the head area. I, I totally agree with that, Yannick. And, you know, on the Morgan Riley play, I think it's interesting because, look, I can understand, you know, somebody the opposition does something and it frustrates you and you have a bad moment on the ice. You do something silly. You do something you shouldn't do. But I have found it really fascinating to hear, you know, from the Leafs coaches and other players defending what Morgan Riley did. Hey, we have a right to respond to that kind of thing. And, you know, it seems like they almost think they were sending a statement or sending a message to other teams around the league by doing that. But, you know, again, I'll ask from your perspective, if you were a, a divisional rival of the Leafs or, or, or a potential playoff opponent of, uh, of the Leafs coming up this spring and you see Morgan Riley do that, I mean, do you really look at that and think, oh, wow, like that's a tough customer or that team's really tough to play against? Does it actually send a message or is it just a, a blip? No, I clap my little hands because now Riley's out of the lineup for the next five, and I'm uh, and they're in a in a wild card spot. Um, that's where like uh, this thing where like Riley had chased him down, dropped his glove, yanked him out, pummeled him, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, you get a five thousand dollar fine or whatever it is. Like that would have been more of a message. Where this like like I said, he got right up, not no scratched off him laughs it off, uh, and, and Riley is going to sit for a significant amount of time now. Uh, that, that's not that's not sending a message. Uh, that that's it's almost like you're back on the on the playground and somebody took your red bucket and now you're throwing a tantrum. Um, and that's what it is. Like Riley did not anticipate, like potentially he he's and he want to cross check him on the arm on the shoulder. It rides up and catches him in a bad spot now. Uh, like, like there's no chance Morgan Riley is coming in there to cross-check him in the head. It's like I said, it is a little bit of a tantrum. You're losing, you're upset, and uh, you, you have a brain fart. Uh, and now you're gonna now now you're gonna face the consequences. And that's where this policing, where if a guy does this, um, you take his number. The next time he comes on the ice, the next time we play him, you line up a little guy named Ryan Reeves next to him, and he just grabs him. Uh, and then he will never do this again uh, because that's fear. What Morgan Riley did is not fear. That that's like something like you don't expect, oh, he did that. Like what, 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 what is he doing? What's he thinking? And now he's going to sit for, for a number of games. So, so that doesn't create any kind of fear. The fear that you can get is getting grabbed by a guy like Reeves, like 
anyone who's who's willing to, to to do a little bit of fighting and, and then getting beat up like that because that's not fun um and that stings that stings your uh, your pride your confidence uh you're looking over your shoulder where uh, the next time i'm playing morgan riley i'm not worried about him cross-checking me in the head because he's hopefully not stupid enough to do that and if he does it'll cost him 15 games 20 games and then he's going to get himself out of the league by doing this stuff. So that's where the policing comes in and where, um, yeah, I don't, I don't mean we need to revert back to uh, the nineties the and early two thousands with, with um, fighting here and there and everywhere and squaring off for, for the sake of squaring off. But these situations where they could use some sort of policing on the ice, the players themselves, they don't have those options anymore. Um, because of where they've taken suspensions, rules, fines, and all these little things. So it would be nice to find some avenue where you can still have the players deal with things within the game without obviously going overboard. Within the context of the intimidation factor that you're discussing there as it relates to behavioral policing and um, occasionally fighting or or the lack of it in, in the contemporary game, I'm curious to know, Yannick, as the last great Canucks team rose to prominence and started, you know, uh, winning individual hardware and winning a ton of games like 2009, 2010, 2011, could you tell that the target on your group's backs grew? And what implications do you think that could have for this team down the stretch? No, it just means you're not getting any any teams B nights, if you will. Because mm. like you're you're playing the top of the league now, where we better show up, or we're gonna get embarrassed, and that's where it is. So so everybody wants to measure themselves against you, and that's where that comes in. So you, you better be prepared every night, because uh, every night you are most likely gonna see the best from the opponent. Um, so it it also it helps you in your career because now you you find a way that okay I have to be on every single game and that will serve you well two three five ten years down down the line when you're playing you have this uh, experience to draw on to what it is to be an NHL player and not just play 15 30 good games in a season no we got to play 70 or 75 so so that's where this experience comes in learn to play the right way feel how it is to be on a, on a winning team in a winning situation. Um, so, so there's no question. I don't know if it's a target on your back, but, but teams don't want to get shown up um, by the top of the league. So you're prepared when you come into these games. You know, speak that uh, that point about having to have your A game every night because you know you're going to get the best from other teams once you're at the top of the league. You know, you look at the game tonight, they're playing the Blackhawks. They have the worst record in the league. Canucks, of course, have the best record in the league. It's also the last game of a five-game road trip, so, you know, you can see kind of the flight home coming after the game. Is it even more difficult in that situation to make sure you come out with your A game uh, in a game like tonight? Yeah, they're they're very hard these ones because you almost you you got one foot on that uh, flight ready to step down in the tarmac <laughs> at the South Terminal already. So it's like, get in, get out. Let's just get two points and get the the hell out of here. We don't want to be here. Uh, it's an early game. Let's just get out of here uh, and get home. And it's been a somewhat decent trip uh, for for them. So like it's 
again, you, you, you hate to be out of there too soon because uh, you want the points with you. There's no question about that. But, but that is most of the time the mindset you have when you go into the last game of, of, of a long road trip. Is that a skill that good veteran teams develop, though, right, to balance those things where it's, okay, we want to get out of here as quickly as possible, but we're also going to find a way to make sure we do just enough to take care of business and get those two points? Yeah, because it's a lot of times it's those road uh, road trips where you got five games, uh, ten points up for grabs. Do we come home with seven or eight, or do we just come home with five? Uh, so, so, and then again, that last game can make a difference on the overall picture where, hey, it was, it was actually a pretty decent trip now instead of just an average or, or down road bad. So like, you, you can't take it for granted. Like you say, you can't leave without it. But, but again, it is, it is sometimes very challenged to, to play that last game. Yannick, what does the stretch run of the season mean for a team that's safely in the playoffs, right? I, I, on the one hand, you know, this team's uh, in the driver's seat to win their division, in the driver's seat to win the Pacific, uh, maybe in the driver's seat to finish with the best record in the league, but they also haven't played. Like, they've only played Vegas once. They haven't played the Kings yet. They haven't played the Jets. Like, all those games are going to come in quick succession, two against the Avalanche. Um, are we going to learn much about this team down the stretch, or at this point in the year, is it all about the playoffs? Uh, I think so, because like, now you start looking at these uh, key matchups and not so much the overall picture. You look at uh, how do we perform in Boston. Mm. Oh, that, that wasn't pretty. How are we going to perform against Colorado? We don't mm. know. How are we going to look against the Jets, against uh, Vegas? Like, this is where, yeah, we're in the playoff spot, and we're going to make the playoff this year, and this is uh, 10 steps further ahead than we thought they'd be at the beginning of the season. Mm-hmm. But now we kind of want more. You've given up draft picks. You've given up assets in order to make your team better. Now it's just not about playing a first-round matchup or whatever it is. No, We want more now. So now you're starting to look at yourself against the, the pinnacle in the league and how do we match up? Can we actually beat these guys? And again, a playoff series is different than, than a Friday night against Vegas. But again, I'd like to see my team go into a building and it doesn't matter how you're feeling that now that night where we're doing who played before who's in who's out can we win this game just because we want to because we're going to will our way to win a game i'm picturing in my mind game one game five we need to win this game in a series can we win this against a good team and that's these statement games that are coming up now where the team's got to find a way to will their way to manufacture these wins they might come they might not but but i want it uh, and I want to see if they can do it. And then if we lose one before, one after, that, that's a little little less important where, where now you really want to see how they match up and can they turn it on when they need to. Uh, I know we talked last week about, you know, the how it can take a little bit of time for a new player to acclimate with a new team after a, an in-season trade. Only four games uh, so far for Elias Lindholm. What have you thought about his game and, and really the state of the Canucks top six right now in general? Yeah, the, the state of the top six is still in flux. Uh, that, that's what scares me a little bit. I thought he'd come in and solidify it, but again, you still you got two glaring holes in the top six. Um, so, so you're missing you're missing two players. Hoping two players will will turn out, pan out uh, to be the difference there. Um, there's no question you added another bona fide top six forward 
Um, but you also remove Kuzmenko's. We we also always been thinking, oh, he could be a top six as well. Um, so, so you still have some holes there. As for Lindholm, um, I love the face-off, um, the right-handed. Uh, he, he's obviously a, a, a better power play player than we've had in, in that bumper spot since Bo left. Um, so he should turn that around, penalty kill. Five on five, I, I haven't seen it yet, but but again, it's still early. So so you can hope that a couple more games will will toot it in the right direction here. Getting home, getting situated, uh, uh, favorable matchups, all these little things. Getting to use, getting to know your teammates a little bit more. Sometimes practicing is hard on the road. So yeah, it's always nice you hear this thing. You getting traded on the road, you get to be together as a team, and yeah, that that works. And you go out for restaurants, go out for dinners and, and movies and these things. But but you don't practice as much in the mm-hmm. road so you don't get a, an opportunity for these things that are probably more important than the others um, so again getting him home getting him situated getting him to Vancouver uh, see what it's all about uh, and then playing some games will, will hopefully push push him and the team in the right direction because it's also you don't really know where he's going to play yet uh, yeah. he's been a couple of different spots center wing JT, PD, um, they, they need to find out and figure this out. Um, and again, they did this trade early, so we have time to work with. Um, but it would be nice to get him situated somewhere in the lineup and then figuring out who is going to play with who. So it's not like two games before the playoff and then you guys are going to ask me the same question as you're doing now. That would not be a good scenario. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't turn out that way. Yannick, great stuff, man, as always. Really appreciate it. Uh, we'll chat again soon. Sounds good. Take care. That is former Canucks forward Yannick Hansen. No Derek Roy vibes on Elias Lindholm. That's that's the bar we want to hit. Exactly. No no Derek Roy vi- no, vibes. Avoid that at all costs. Uh, really interesting thoughts uh, from Yannick there about the kind of ongoing discussion that, again, the Jake Wallman gritty thing has just been folded into as like an add-on to the, <laughs> the Morgan Riley Ridley Grieg. It's like, yeah, well, that's the main conversation, but this can be kind of a subplot uh, in it. But an interesting, some interesting uh, comments and thought from Yannick Hansen there. And, you know, somebody texted in, uh, Gurjeet texted in, great interview of Hansen, guys, just wondering if opposing players see Riley react as he Gurjeet's did. Gurjeet's the man, by the way. I just want to shout out. All right. Shout out to Gurjeet. Shout out to Gurjeet. Uh, react as he did. Does it give the impression that you're easy to screw with mentally? Like, that's how fragile you are, that you cross-check because of an over-the-top empty net goal. And... I mean, I I kind of made that point from my perspective yesterday, but obviously yeah, you're spitting fire. <laughs> I, well, Yannick used the word that I stopped short of using, which is a temper tantrum. That's what it was. Essentially, it was a temper tantrum. And it's like, you know, Morgan Riley had some big feelings and he just didn't have a productive way to work them out. <laughs> I want more saxophone <laughs> squirtle. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But like, you're seriously. And that's why I found this whole. And so it obviously it holds a lot more weight coming from uh, an actual uh, former NHL player mm. in Yannick Hansen. But I think that's kind of what he was getting at. Like that is that supposed to scare me? Is that supposed to like make me nervous about walking into a game against the Toronto Maple Leafs? Because guess what? It doesn't. As Gurjeet says, I think it's just kind of like, oh, yeah, you had a temper tantrum. But like, who cares? OK, that's uh, there's no reason to be uh, scared of that. And that's the kind of thing I found well, the most surreal about this discussion. No one's. Let's go. No one's ever scared of a temp- temper tantrum. Everyone just doesn't want to be around it. Yeah, it's like, oh, this guy. I love saxophone squirtles so, so much. You and Dim. Oh, yeah. When uh, we did our final show before Christmas break, me and Dim went to the uh, to do some Christmas shopping. And we literally put on an hour and a half long loop of this and just like <laughs> listened to it in the car on repeat for a solid hour. It was great.
just guys being guys. Just like absolute Night at the Roxbury vibes. You know the origins <laughs> of, of the sect? Yeah, of course. It's that um, Eurovision. Estonian mm. group or whatever. And man, that guy goes for it every time. Yeah. He's awesome. Like, he kills it. The song's not very good. Epic Sax Guy or something? That's his meme name. The the meme name. Yeah. Yeah. I know that's not his real name. But man, that guy, every time he plays, no matter whether whether the hook is great or whether the hook is okay, he thrusts. You gotta sell it. You gotta sell it. (laughs) (laughs) He's like like a Star Wars character, like, full thrust! (laughs) He's like Jamie at the start of every show. Oh, yeah. Full thrust. What's up? That's right. Lean into it. It's called energy, Dom. <laughs> I would know nothing about that. No, we we know my timid personality. <laughs> yeah, that's you. Um. Anyways, I enjoyed that. The good insight from uh, from Yannick Hansen. Oh, and and good saxophone squirtle. I think he had the right. Minutes. I think he great. had the right take on uh, on Jake Wallman too. Like, yeah, throw a body check. Lean it. Don't don't you know? Finish your checks on him. Maybe say something to him, but it doesn't really does not need to be more than that. And in fact, again, if yeah, you, you let, get a chance if you to a let face that wash. take over the game, that's a that's deeply concerning. If at any point you're facing the Detroit Red Wings and you're preoccupied with Jake Wallman, that's on you. You're preoccupied with the gritty, like that's on you. You know, like you've got you've got Dylan Larkin and other things to actually worry about. I think um, I think I just can't take it seriously because it's called the gritty. It's just like really, that's what you're as mad opposed about? to the Dougie, or like I don't even know. As opposed like, to the all the single ladies dance, yeah. Or like as just opposed any to Sally. you know what I mean? Flossing, mm-hmm. the jitterbug. Would you take if he d- if he'd done the jitterbug? <laughs> Did you say the Dougie yet? Yeah, yeah of course. The Dougie, yeah. Dabbing, good one. Um, do you remember the uh, was it Colin Cowherd John Wall take where John Wall did the Dougie at his first game and Cow- Colin Cowherd was like he'll never be a great player because <laughs> boy was the, he right he did the Dougie at his first game good take good take Heard shout out to Colin Cowherd <laughs> uh, all right we'll wrap it up there this is uh, going off the rails rapidly here but it is a Canucks game once day. we started listing TikTok Just dances. <laughs> You should we'll, sign out with a dab. We'll be back for the crossover with Dottie and Dolly tomorrow. Enjoy the game tonight. Keep it right here on Sportsnet 650.